Well, good morning, Darby Creek, live and virtual. It's good to worship with you all again. Um, I think this is just my and Julie's second time worshiping, and both time have been with Darby Creek since March 13-ish or something. Good to be with God's saints. So who knows what disclosing tablets are? Maggie knows, because you were here earlier, right? All right. What are they, Maggie? That's right. So um, back in the 70s, 1970s, um, we lived in Iowa, and I went to Allen Shepherd Elementary School. And I remember the health teacher, because we had those back then, uh, every year, I don't know, kindergarten through fourth grade or something, um, sometime of the year we would do um, tooth care. And part of that process was we got these little red tablets, and you chew on them, and then you go look in the mirror, and where you had red splotches stuck to your teeth, that's where you had tartar. And after the first time, I was so dedicated to make sure I never had red splotches on my teeth. Um, I would just brush like crazy. And and grades three and four did pretty well, I must say. (laughs) But... I want to share that, and I don't mean in any way to diminish what's going on in America today, but um, like those disclosing tablets did, I've had an experience for the last 60 days that really showed where I have splotches in my understanding and demonstration of justice and kindness. And I want to share my walk with you all today, and and hopefully it's encouraging and and motivating to the point of action and perhaps even self-evaluation show. Um, there, I, I do want to warn everybody that some of this might feel political because there's certainly a lot of politics when we start talking about justice in America. Um, there are going to be some words and phrases that I'm going to ask you to push through and listen for the word of God and not get hung up on s- some of the different things that could be tied to it. Um, and then lastly, if you have the Version app on your phone, you'll have some additional resources that I don't have with me today. I'm kind of new to this equipment. But um, if, if you email Carrie, surprise, um, from our, our website, from the Diary Creek website, she'll uh, get a hold of me, and then we'll send you some additional resources from today. Um, anybody here have any different opinion that 2020 has been kind of tough? So, yeah, thanks, Nathan. Um, So 130,000 people have died from this virus. Um, Comparatively, an average flu season, which is also another terrible virus, um, is roughly 50,000, 35 to 50,000. The worst one that I recall in the last 20 years was uh, about 70,000 people. So it's very real. It's a bad thing. Thank you um, for all of you who are social distancing, wearing your masks and whatnot. Um, the other thing is unemployment is about four times higher than it was this time last year. So a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet. Um, I saw a Ford commercial yesterday that uh, they'll let you give back the car if you lose your job. But you've got to go buy the car. Um, and, and then, of course, just the, the things that have happened, um, not just in the last 60 days, but, but definitely highlighted with the deaths of uh, Mr. Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor, and just that, that whole concept of where is justice in America. 
Um, so really, I wanted to get into that. <clears throat> and I'm not, not totally unique in that way. Um, but I definitely wanted to get hold of one of my black friends, Troy, and say, hey, hey man, help me through this. Um, help me understand what it's like to be in your life. And, and he challenged me, said, hey, um, read a book with me. And if you've known me for more than 17 minutes, um, you know how much I love to read books. If it's not in a movie or on YouTube, I'm, I'm really struggling. So I, I agreed with uh, Troy to read a book with him over the period of a month. I believe I've beat him. Um, so I will definitely show him that <clears throat> later on. And that book is called Divided by Faith, Evangelical Religion and the Problem with Race in America. And, it, and for me, it really did more than I really wanted. It showed a magnifying glass where a good white person who's not a racist really is not solving the problems that we have in America. <clears throat> so um, after, while I've been reading that book, I've also been joining in uh, the scriptures and looking to see what God's word says uh, about justice and, and goodness. Um, so I'm going to talk about that today. Um, so let's jump in right away. Let's start with uh, Matthew 25, uh, starting with verse 31. And it's important that you know that this part of Scripture is after Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. So he's already talked about people who take things that they're given by God and investing them in the right way and being a good and faithful servant. Then he steps into this idea of justice. And he starts out, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. So the Son of Man is another name for Jesus. So right here, Jesus has set this picture. When I come back with all the angels, Michael, Gabriel, hey, all the angels, that, that might include Satan. Satan is an angel, all right? It includes the seraphim and the little cherubim that are singing, holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when those angels are singing that, the earth is shaking. And then on top of that, you got billions of people of all the nations before the throne of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? The whole world, um, he will separate out. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right side, but the goats on his left. <clears throat> then the king. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my savior. We sing about him lifting us up, carrying us through hard times. There's a poem about the one set of footprints on the beach. Um. But here, Jesus is declaring, as the king and the king of all the nations, the king of all the angels, he says this. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see 
when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And that's where we get the title of today's service. You did it to me. Um, Jesus is part of the Godhead um, demands that we live for justice. He goes on and to, to talk about the people who are on the left side that did not live justly. <clears throat> and at, at the end of that section, he goes, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but righteous into eternal life. Now, I'm not going to get into today how can that idea of works really live next to this guy, this idea of an individual's choice of me accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. That, that's a whole other topic. They do work alongside and complementary, but we're not going to get into that today. <clears throat> but the, I, I want to really focus today that the king values righteousness and her twin justice from his people. He also commands kindness and mercy. The implication from the day of judgment is that King Jesus will separate out individuals from around the kingdom based on their commitment to kind justice. We must stand for justice for our fellow citizens in the United States as well as the kingdom of God. Our generally Father, just want to thank you for today. We ask that you would bless this time in your word. Um, just thank you so much for the people who are committed to you and your church, and let them be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, our good brother, Tony Evans, he's a pastor in Dallas, Texas. Um, I was introduced to him back in the 90s during Promise Keepers, one of the speakers there. And just a, a really great man uh, of faith, um, a great leader in the black community, um, and really worthy of your respect. Um, he breaks down racism to this. And I'm, I am absolutely going after racism today. Okay? Um, racism is this. The conscious or unconscious belief in the superiority of one's race over and against another race. That feeling, that belief, gets manifested in the use of power or influence or resources or even communication that seeks to marginalize or even communication that seeks to marginalize or even oppress a person of another color or race or ethnicity. Now, in this book I've been reading with Troy, um, the authors call it rationalization of America, where there's the systems and the structures at play are impacted and treat people of different races um, differently. And Tony de defines systemic racism as this. It's racism being embedded into the structures of society. Now, those structures have been in society since my birth and persist in spite of the efforts of, of many good people. I was talking to some of the Darby Creekers earlier, and we were just reflecting that it's 2020. I'm reading a book that's in the late 90s. We remember when we were kids in the 70s, and I had just read a, a, a message by um, Billy Graham from the 60s, and the topic hasn't changed. 
we need to commit ourselves. We can't just react when things are tough. We really need to live this because this is what God's word said. This is what King Jesus told us to do. But back to systemic racism, whether those structures are political or economic or legal or medical or related to housing or employment, it is where it becomes part of the policies or procedures or the way a particular entity operates. Now, if you have six minutes and six seconds, I invite you to go to YouTube, look up Tony Evans regarding racism, and you'll be able to see his, his whole definition there. It's worth all six minutes. Um, but for today, I wanted to share with you my journey uh, to date. I'm not there. I just noticed that I've got red stains on my teeth because I'm not as, as good at it as I thought I was. But I want to share with you my journey on understanding why the white evangelical church in particular must proclaim the love of Christ while doing justice through overt expression and support of social justice, particularly of our fellow black Americans. I also want to be very clear that I have friends that are in law enforcement. I absolutely respect them and their fellow workers who pursue employment in law enforcement. I'm so thankful that they had to work every day not knowing what they will face hoping that their courage, training, and moral compass will carry them through the challenge of the day. That's all I'm going to talk about that today. There's so much more within this, this idea of systemic racism that we need to cover and really shine a light on it so we can break it down as servants of Christ. So one of the scriptures that many pastors have been referencing in the last 60 days is Micah 6, 8. And that passage says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I think it's interesting that the Scripture says, do justice. It is a call to action. It's something that we have to invest ourselves, our talents, our resources into, to go do justice. We're going to cover a lot of things that the Bible, thus God, says is justice, but there's many more to that too. Um, You know, we just celebrated Independence Day yesterday. We have a country that requires the activity of the citizenship, and too many of us vote, and then we just hang out for two to four years. Doing justice means we don't just vote. We interact with those leaders and tell them what we expect. We impact and and cause change while those those people are in power. Righteousness is not primarily about private morality or spirituality, but how we show morality and spirituality in the light of our relationships. It's not just being fair, but restoring the value of a person in the eyes of our community. So the second part to that verse is love kindness. Today, we have channels that broadcast us. It's social media, right? Unlike any other time in my history, many people have many channels, and they can broadcast their ideas and really what's at the root of their hearts. Are we using those channels for love and kindness and justice? And then walk humbly with your God. Again, action, walk. Which God are you walking with? Are you walking with God Almighty that demands 
justice and kindness? Or are we walking with the God that kind of gets around the issues so I feel better about the security of my financial future, so I feel better about the people I normally hang out with, or just so I don't have to deal with the hassle? What does the walk with God mean? It's going where he has you to go. We have to walk with him. He doesn't just follow us. Genesis 1.26, let's go back to the very beginning and, and really get at the root of where Christ expects us to be in justice. And in, in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, okay, just real quick, let them, there's going to be a lot of them. The, this idea of man being a male thing isn't the case here. Let's make mankind them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There is no mention here about having dominion over other people. The other part of this dominion is being good stewards of it, taking care of those things, right? Now, most of the time when we go through the Bible, we're at a time where the law of God has come into play, that it's been actually written down uh, by Moses for the Israelites. But in this case, this is pre-law. And there was a man named Job. And in Job, we, at uh, chapter 31, I'm sure you're all familiar about Job early on in that book. But in chapter 31, he's talking about his relationship with other people. And in particular, uh, in uh, verses 13 to 14, he's talking about these people that who are indentured servitude to him. But he says about them, if they have a complaint uh, to God um, about me, I want to make sure I'm right. Because did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? So and I just bring that up again because the Bible is teaching that all men, all people are created equally. That we are made in the image of God. Um, if you get a chance this weekend, I, I encourage you to read chapter 31 of Job. Then in Leviticus, the, the law of Moses is, is outlined. And in particular, this is where we really start getting into the nuts and bolts of religious law and civil law. And in particular, in civil law, God makes this difference that, hey, Israel, I'm not just giving these rights and responsibilities to you, but in civil law, it's you and whoever lives with you. And in Leviticus 24, verse 22, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Um, this is relevant because right now, when this is written, Israel is a sojourner. They don't have their own land yet. But there is a promise that they're going to get their land. And when they get their land, the expectation from God is, hey, this is a rule for you and for whoever else lives with you. And then we start kicking off this whole idea of ongoing mercy and justice and kindness to other people. The similarity for us is that particular to God's people observing civil law, it, that it's providing us rights as well as rights of anyone else who journeys in life with them. 
God is just regardless of our genealogy and, and land titles. Um, Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. See, I have taught you statues and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them that you will, that for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statues, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that the statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today? When we demonstrate the justice of God as a people, as the church, it should be showing the rest of God's kingdom. By the way, if we go back to Matthew 15, what is God's kingdom? It's all nations. It's not just the church. The church is the ambassador of the heavenly kingdom into this worldly kingdom. So we're all in the same kingdom together. And the idea here is that if when God's people demonstrate his justice and his good law and how great it is, a light is shown on God and people are saying, wow, what a great God those people have. When we hear in the news today, when we hear in today's media, the evangelicals, what's usually the, the connotation there? It, it's not good. It's not favorable. It's ultra-conservative. It's one way. Um, they're not subject to change, maybe even oppressive. And that's not what God says we should be. We should be a light that turns people to him by being so so just. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And these topics start very early in the Bible, and they're going to carry us all through the rest of the morning. Then uh, Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts justice do the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say amen. Amen means so be it. It is clear from the earliest scriptures God expects his people to apply justice evenly, regardless of the person's or people group's ability to influence change and care. The white evangelical who preaches from the word of God must champion this. So when we fast forward from the law to the establishment of the kingdom of Israel and King David, who is also the great psalmist, he writes Psalm 146. And Psalm 146 starts at verse 1, Praise the Lord. And then when we jump down to uh, verses 7 through 9, he who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry, sets the prisoner free, the, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He up, upholds the wind, widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. <clears throat> so in Psalm 46, David a man after the God's own heart is reflected in what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Hunger, the person who's hungry, 
<clears throat> Jesus says the prisoner. Uh, David says that he sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind and that David says. Jesus says he talks about the sick. David talks about the sojourner. Jesus talks about the stranger. This didn't go away um, when we changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is the expectation of God Almighty. So I want to spend a little bit of time <clears throat> from the, the practical side of life. And, and guys, there is systemic racism in our country today. It's hard to say. It's hard to believe. It's hard to absorb. But it's there. And we have the word of God that tells us that we ought to stand up and, and do something about it. So if you have the app, um, I, I do have some stats here for you. I don't have it for the slides or on the screen. But um, during this time of reading the book, studying the scriptures, and as a part of a healthcare system, um, I decided I need to jump out there and look at what the data says about us. Is there really this idea of systemic racism happening in, in America today? So the first slide you see there is the prevalence of food insecurity. The, the data is from 2018, and that's because it takes some time to collect end of year data, compile it, build reports, validate the data. So we're often a year or two behind on things. But prevalence of food insecurity in 2018, if you go down this chart, and it talks about the race and ethnicity of that head of household, um, where we have uh, a black head of household, we have about a 22% prevalence of food insecurity. So think about that. In your five-day week, and let's, let's just enjoy the weekends, but Monday through Friday, one day a week, households that are, are, are led by um, a black American have food insecurity for that whole day. For white Americans, it's about 8%. So that would be eight days out of 100. I'll just do the easy math. Um, it, it's, it's almost a third of the amount of time that, that we spend there. So there is a great difference there um, that we ought to stand up for. <clears throat> if you look at the next figure, it talks about real median household income by race and ethnicity. This should be a shame, a very shameful thing for our country. Between 2000 and 2018, black Americans lost median income. And I don't just mean periodically. Over the course of those 18 years, they netted out losing $1,700 a year, while every other race and ethnicity group grew. And some of, some of them, the gap is, is tremendous. Um, the gap today, median household income between white America and black America is almost $30,000 a year. That should not be in the greatest country in the world. That should not be with the white evangelical church in this country. We, we need to stand up for that. When we look at health, um, the next slide talks about heart disease. Um, white Americans have a higher prevalence of heart disease than black Americans do, yet more black Americans die from heart disease than white Americans. That doesn't even make sense, unless there's a systemic issue that's getting in the way of health care. When we look at type 2 diabetes, particularly in, in young people ages 10 to 19, 
black Americans are eight times the rate of diabetes of white Americans. That ought not be. Jesus talked about the hunger. He talked about the poor. That He talked about the sick. We need to get involved there. When we look at the top ten causes of death of white and black Americans, top three are pretty close. Heart disease, cancers. Um, black Americans, number three is, is accidents. Uh, for white Americans, that's number four. Um, about the same rate. A stroke is about the same rate. For diabetes, black Americans are 1.8 times more like have that as a cause of death more often. Number seven is homicide in black America. That is oppression. We need to stand up for the oppressed. The other sad thing for white America, number nine is suicide. Is the church kind enough? When we use our social channels, are we voicing kindness and justice? Do we show people that they're cared for? So what does the Word of God tell us to do? Well, Proverbs 31, I don't know if I actually got that verse loaded. Um, Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute. And I'm personally extrapolating that beyond people who physically can't speak, but those who influentially cannot speak. They're either in a people group or a race that just is marginalized. Um, and, and God tells those who have influence to open our mouths. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Conversely, James... Who was James? He was Jesus' half-brother. You guys realize Jesus grew up in a blended, blended family? And James here, he's very much, if you read the book of James, he is all about justice and kindness. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you cannot say nice things about other people, don't say anything because it's going to screw up your testimony. So on the one hand, we have this command to speak for the mute, and then on the other hand, to bridle our tongue. If we can't control ourselves, then we shouldn't be speaking. Um, in his article, What is Biblical Justice?, Paul Lewis Metzger writes, one of the greatest injustices we succumb to individually is self-righteousness, the belief that we do not need Jesus but are just and good apart from him. He's talking to Christians. There's a lot of people who are saved from damnation and hell, but they're still self-righteous. They still believe they're good enough. And, and guys, when I saw those red stains on my teeth about where my heart and my beliefs and my actions are on social justice. I absolutely have been embedded in my self-righteousness about, well, I'm not that bad. I never use the N-word. I would never interfere with the employment of somebody based on their skin color. But I was not doing justice 
and loving kindness the way I feel God is calling me to do. I need Jesus' input. And the only way is to study his word. Isaiah 117, Isaiah and Micah were prophets in different parts of what used to be Israel. The kingdom had been split into Israel and Judah. And Isaiah writing about the same time as Micah writes, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Right about the same time Micah is saying, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Zechariah, I don't know how many people have read Zechariah lately, but he writes, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. Again, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And then we go back to James in chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm to be filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. You know, Zechariah shared with the nation... You know, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy. But then he later goes on to report, but they refused to pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears that they may not hear. And they made their hearts diamond hard. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Guys, this is God's word. This has penetrated to the point of tears for me as I read through this. The, the authors in the book that I'm referring to, Divide by Faith, they do warn doers of something. And in speaking of evangelicals, because of their constant sense of urgency to get busy doing things, do that, someone's got to do something. <clears throat> Without first adequately thinking through the issues, Evangelicals, like the broader American culture they help shape, value action more than careful thought. The evangelical Protestant mind has never relished complexity. First, I was a little offended at that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, Indeed, its crusading genius, whether in religion or politics, has always tended toward oversimplification of issues and the substitution of inspiration and zeal for critical analysis and serious reflection. In Generous Justice, Tim Keller writes, doing justice is not just about righting wrongs, but generosity and social concern. So 
you know, Shelby and I have been talking about these kinds of things quite a bit lately. And we're definitely, someone's got to do something. So I'm going to give you something you can't do. Um, Number one, pray and reflect. While you're praying and reflecting, pray about, are you defending something that King Jesus is saying shouldn't be there? Number two, define where you stand with your friends and family. Um, you might have to have a conversation that goes something like this. I'm sorry, but what makes you think you can use that kind of language around me? Is there something I've done that makes you believe that I appreciate that? That might start a very, very important conversation. It will set where you stand, and it might bring light to the other person's life. It might offend them. The other thing is, is, as you're setting where you stand, it may not always be with your friends and family. It may be something somewhere else that you can influence. Um, my friend Troy and I that I referenced earlier, we used to work in stores together, and we were visiting a store one time, and we were on opposite sides of the store, and this woman came up to me and said, Sir, there's a black man in the store. This was in 1968. Nope. This was in 2013 wasn't that long ago. And at the time, because of my blotchy red stains that show I marginalize things, I brushed it off, well, you know, country bumpkins, because we were out in a rural area. And I kind of, I, I shared it with Troy, and we kind of laughed about it. I didn't realize at the time that his laugh wasn't the same as my laugh. <clears throat> but I should have had that same kind of conversation with that person. Talk to your black friends. Ask them, tell me about your story. What's different? I am shocked at how many times I have these really meaningful conversations. That how true those terrible stories are for people. Talking to black gentlemen that are coming home from work, pulling in front of their driveway, met by a police car in order to keep their hands on the steering wheel while a gun is pointed at them. talking to mothers of children who, when their dad is talking to them, it's not if you get pulled over by the police, it's when you get pulled over. When we see diabetes rates so high in in black communities that we start having conversations, well, it must be the lifestyle and choice instead of really talking about the opportunities that that exist for, for different people. We have to have those kinds of conversations. Read and study more than just conservative resources. Read more books. Get involved with more groups than what you've been comfortable with over the course of your life. You know, one of the great things about America is, is we are driven by consumerism, and we have lots of choices, and we tend to go choose things that we prefer and are comfortable with. I'm encouraging you to go someplace you're not comfortable with. Troy did a great job for me. Tell me about this book because it ain't comfortable. And it's written in the late 90s, but you could erase that date and put the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 2000, 2020. It hasn't changed. 
So visit Tony Evans if you want to take a baby step. Uh, read the book, Divide by Faith. Um, Generous Justice is another book. Um, another thing you can do is join an organization. Um, I've been really impressed with this religious organization in, in Columbus. It's the bread organization, B period, R period, E period, A period, D period. It is made up of, of largely more liberal Christian groups. But they are doing some great work. And they are bringing to bear the power of 20,000 members to go talk to policymakers, and they're getting things done. So I encourage you to go online and read their 2020 report about the work that they've done in the area. Uh, might be something you're interested in. Um, be the bridge. It's a Facebook group. Um, you have to apply to join it. And if you are accepted, part of being a, a, a member of that Facebook group is you have to be quiet for three months. And you just listen. And what's the conversations going on about black America? Once you're educated and inspired, reach out to your legislators. Let's start making change. Those stats that I shared earlier can't stay the way they are. It just can't be. And then again, I can't stress enough, pray. You know, I was, I was really happy to see that Darby Creek joined other churches last week and marched together in solidarity, praying for unity. We have to do that, but we have to do more. Um, I was glad to hear about Julie's prayer group, just praying about the, the issues of, of the day. Definitely got to pray. We need to pray for Jesus to show us in our own hearts what more we need to do. So, again, I am sharing with you my walk. I definitely do not in, intend to be judgmental or pointing the finger at anybody. But I can tell you that I am not unique in my experience. And I ask that you all invest your time in God's Word and in good books and with your neighbors and friends. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much um, for this great nation that we have uh, independence and, and freedom to meet together whether in person or online, that we can speak the truth of your word and that we can do it with kindness and love and, and with justice. Lord, just take these words, uh, plant these seeds, let them grow into um, a great source that shines the light on you and how great your justice and, and uh, love is for every person in, in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.